you like to get things done quicker, faster, and with less effort? So do I. So I created a Facebook group called Assistance Automation and AI for mental health providers. You can search it in the Facebook search panel. And I created this because I love to talk about this topic. I love talking about assistants and how to hire them and manage them. I love automations that do things for me quicker, faster, better. And then AI is just exploding on the scene. And I feel like I'm talking about all the about it all the time and my friends are talking about it. So why not create a community group where we can discuss these things together, share ideas and get things done quicker. I'd be humbled if you joined the group and started contributing your favorite tips and tricks on assistance, automation and AI for mental health providers. Go to the show notes, find the link for the group or just search up assistance, automation and AI for mental health providers in the Facebook search bar. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marlin with Dr. David Hall. This is the show where we help encourage you to take small steps towards big growth. Hello, David. Hey, James. Welcome back. Glad to have you here. Uh, this week, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to finish our conversation about the delegation framework. Uh, last week or the last episode, we talked about the uh, decision-making framework, how virtual assistants make decisions. This week, we're going to help uh, entrepreneurs and practice owners with the, de the, the, the delegation framework. First, we're going to start out with our tool, tech, or tip of the week. David, why don't you go first? Uh, my tip is particularly for those of you who are in uh group practice, whether you're the principal, you're just a part of one, um, thinking about how, you know, how do you foster or create community within that group? And here's my simple tip. And this is what, uh, we, uh, we do in, in my practice, we call it the hallway and it's just simply a text thread. And we, we have certain rules. Like whenever anyone joins the practice, we have a text thread going now. Certain people could do it differently. If you, people may have something in WhatsApp or, um, uh, uh Slack channel or, yeah, or something like that. But I think something like that is important. You, th there's figuring out parameters for it and the parameters are going to be different for different cultures of, of your practice. For us, it's, um, uh, we use it for both business and pleasure for, for business. Uh, it is people looking for referrals for something, because at this point we've got uh, well over a dozen people in our group. We're here at different times. We see each other once weekly, but sometimes someone will have an intake request that isn't a good fit for them based on age or availability or other parameters. And so they'll send, put something in the group thread. Sometimes it's practical, like we get locked out sometimes because our building automatically locks when you go in and out and sometimes people will step out thinking that they had their keys and did not. And so it'll be the text thread, will someone let me in? Uh, and, but the other times it's jokes and we'll have particularly, uh, one of our staff is the, the creator of the Instagram counseling memes. If you've not found them, it's an hilarious account counseling underscore memes at both the Instagram and Facebook. And he will experiment on different ideas he's thinking of posting. He'll, he'll send us GIFs or different memes he's created, therapist-related humor, and that will often brighten up our days. And so 
I just find it's a great community thing. And whatever you're doing, whether it's that or just thinking through what are the practical touch points of community that you're doing for yourself uh, in your work as a mental health practitioner. That's one of the things that, that we do at Haven Counseling Center in Knoxville. Cool. Yeah, that, that uh, uh, in the virtual world and even in, a, in an office building where you can shut your door and you can't see anybody for weeks, <laughs> it seems that those little things do make a big difference towards the, the connectivity. So thanks for that, David. My tip of the week is uh, I've been listening to The Pumpkin Plan. It's the Mike McCollowitz book um, of, about growing bigger businesses and with the illustration of pumpkins. And this, the, the last chapter I listened to does a reframe when there's work to do. A lot of times when we get work to do, we ask, how, how is this going to get done? Like, how, how am I going to see this client? How am I going to get, get the, these work, this work done? And the, the, the reframe is instead of, if you want to grow your business, instead of thinking, how is this work is going to get done? You, you flip the question and say, who is going to get the work done? Mm. It changes from how to who. And that way it takes you, it, it helps you think about delegation. It helps you think about prioritization, helps you think about specialization. Uh, it's just a, it's just a really interesting reframe because as an entrepreneur or as somebody who, uh, it does a lot of work. I think like, how am I going to get, like, I, I automatically put in that I word, like, how am I going to get this done mm. instead of who's the best person or who's going to get this done? So, and, and that's a good segue into the second part of our conversation on, you know, kind of the delegation framework. So, you know, this is, this is your wheelhouse, James. So, so, you know, take sure. us there. Yeah, uh, this is the second half of the the decision making delegation framework. This this comes from another Mike McCollard's program, actually, uh, Run Like Clockwork. Uh, I I took some courses from that, and the 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 the, de the decision making framework. Any was you need permission, information, and confidence. So if I'm going to make a decision, we talked about this last last mm -hmm. time. Like if I'm going to make a decision, I need to have the permission to make decision. It has to be within my roles. I need the right information to make it. And then I also need to be sure that I'm doing the right thing. I need to have confidence. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, if I ever don't make those decisions, I know I can go to my boss or manager or whoever assigns the work and say, I'm missing this part of the equation. I'm missing permission. I don't have the passwords or it's not in my job role. Somebody's asking me to do something different, or I don't have enough information. Do you want blue pens or black pens? We talked about <laughs> that last time. Yeah. So that uh, I can go back to the person who assigned the task and say, I can't make this decision. I think I'm going to do this. Can you confirm or can you give me feedback? And so that's that's a way to, to help train your assistant or the person that's delegating work for them to be able to make more and more and bigger decisions as they learn and grow and grow their confidence. So what is the responsibility for a practice owner or anybody uh, delegating tasks? And it's, it's similar in the fact that you, you have to give them permission to do it. Like you have to define their role. You have to give them the right information. We talked about this last time. 
But the third thing, the, the differ differentiator is the, the owner, the person assigning the work has to give clear outcomes or they have to define the outcome of what the task is. Mm. Um, no, uh, that's, it's, no, as, as I'm at the beginning phase of, as we're talking about, of investing resources for myself in VA support, this is a tricky one for me, James, because and it's one of the things that honestly that creates the most hesitancy with me because I'm unsure even of what it's going to like. My, my goal is for it to be better. Mm -hmm. Fill in the blank for it uh, of what I'm trying to solve that, you know, things are getting done in a more timely manner, that, that things are less disorganized. It's one of the things that frustrates me the most in being me is that I am not a naturally organized person and I can manage that most of the time until I can't and I get furious. I was trying to find something in my house this weekend and when I'm trying to find something, I end up starting to clean because there are piles of things that it might be in. When I start cleaning, I get furious. And here's why. Because I will find things in those piles that should not have been in those piles. I found a tax form that should have been in a, in a much more secure place than the pile I found it in my home office. And I am just getting progressively more mad at me. Mm -hmm. I have no one else to blame, but me. So when I think of the idea of support of like, okay, I'll have less of this in my life is one of the outcomes I'm thinking of. But the hard thing is, is it's, it's hard for me to even think about the measurables of, you know, what are the measurables? Cause what I'm asking for in some ways is a feeling. And as a psychotherapist who worked with families and couples and things like that, that feeling as an end goal is completely unfair for me to contract with somebody, to employ somebody that I'm wanting to accomplish some things for me. And this, I like, I need measurable outcomes to know if it, because if I'm just going for a feeling, that's not fair to me and it's not fair to them. But so it's hard for you to imagine what that outcome could be sometimes when it's I'm so new to the task. So uh, let's use that. Th that was like the end part of the conversation. But let's use oh. that because okay. uh, the there is going whenever you delegate things, you're either going to feel great about it. Like, oh, it happened exactly as I said, or there's going to be some missed expectations. The, the difference between what you expect and reality the gap is the disappointment. And so you use those, you, you look for those feelings and you don't look for them to like blame people or to like get mad at them, but you use it as a starting point for the, the conversation. You use it as a part for like, I'm having this feeling. It's for a reason. What do we do for it? And you, uh, you just, you have to realize it's going to happen. But I guess that's point number one. Mm -hmm. There, there will be, there, there, you will be uh, disappointed with some things. Mm -hmm. Now think about the virtual assistant. Let's, let's say you gave, uh, you wouldn't give a virtual assistant uh, the job of organizing the papers in your home office. But what, what if you gave him the job of organizing your files on your, your yeah, it could be, it, it could be that I've, you know, that I've got my Google Drive that's in a complete mess. Yeah, they want mess. your Google Drive's a mess, and you want them to organize it. Uh -huh. Now, 
most of the time, I think this is another thing to to realize. Most of the time, like 95 to 99% of the time, the person you assign the task to wants to make you happy, right? Would you agree with that? I would hope so. Yeah. I would hope that that would be the, yeah, absolutely. There, it is not their goal to disappoint you. Like, it's not their goal to screw up. It's not their goal to, like, be so bad that you get mad and you want to fire. They want to win. Like, I think we have to recognize when when we have disappointments, they're also disappointed too. Like, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I messed up and something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reality for the the mess up is often in um, the the we didn't ex- uh, we didn't clearly give the outcome. That's that's the the part where we had something in our head that we wanted. Let's say you wanted things organized just alphabetically, and they did it by date. <laughs> but you just said organize my folders. Mm-hmm. And they, they gave you something that was organized, but it wasn't the clear, like it didn't have the definition or the clarity of what you had in your head. And that's often, that's, uh, as I was reading the book and as I, you know, delegate a lot of things myself, I, I know it's in my head, but I often can't, I don't often communicate it with enough definition for the, the person on the other side to give me exactly what I want. And I have to recognize that's me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a big part of the failure. If I want, if I want the job done and the person wants to make me happy, and then they give me something that is below my expectations. Is it because, you know, they're a lazy, no good worker? Not likely. No, it, it is the, so what's the solution? Well, uh, there's, there's a couple things you can do and it's not difficult, but like the, 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 uh, um, for the first part is be clear, like clarity is defining the task that you want the assistant to do. And this means giving them some of the details, like what, what does the finished product look like? Like, uh, what is the time frame? What are the resources required? Uh, you, you make sure that you define it very well for them. Uh, you also said something in the beginning, like you need metrics, right? I think metrics are important for, for virtual assistants or anybody that you delegate the task to, uh, I, you might not, you might not have a money goal, but might, you might have a time goal. Like I need this done in, you know, a successful person to do this. We'll have this task completed in this amount of time. Well, uh, and, uh, to to go on a a detour in this that feels right about metrics. As a general rule, I find a lot of therapists aren't good at that. We're generally feelers. Yeah, uh, and and I don't want to speak in absolutes because, of course, there's you know there's a whole variety of individuals. But as as a uh, a strong predilection for a lot of people in the industry. We're a feeling type. We're very intuitive. Mm-hmm. We're, if we're good at our jobs, we're often very intuitive. But what that practically means is we don't incline towards the measurable, objective standards 
And it's a discipline we have to engage in. Because to your point, like, is it, you talk about the gap between disappointment and delight. The light happens with either like what I exactly imagined was accomplished, or sometimes it's even like this person surpassed my expectations. I was expecting something and that's even better. And then there's, it's not quite what I expected. And it may be when I experienced that disappointment, sometimes it could be, I realize there could be the realization that, as you said, like I wanted, I said, organize these files. I, in my mind, was thinking alphabetically. They did it chronologically. I did not specify that. And there's this realization, there was a gap in the information that I gave. Mm -hmm. And that goes to some previous principles that you said. What's even harder is sometimes I have the sense, or it can happen of just, I just don't like this. But I can't even put words to why I'm disappointed. Because it's just, I'm, I didn't define it beforehand for myself or anybody else. And I would say, as, as a touchy-feely sort of therapist person. If you're listening to this and you're watching this and that's you, that is on you. That is not the other, the, the VA's issue to fix. That is your yeah. issue to fix. And time to, you know, to, to step up to that. Now, is it, is it going to be easy? And, and if I was in that situation, I would just try to prime the conversation with whoever I'm working with to say like, hey, this is new for me and I don't even know everything I'm asking for. And that's a different sort of permission giving is giving them permission to guide me. Uh, like what would be helpful information that I haven't given you? What, you know, if I've laid out a task, what are the gaps in my instructions? And to be proactive in, in, in asking for that, because I think that would be one way as I'm imagining doing this in, in this conversation is I want to be proactive in giving them permission to say versus I give them a task and they're, they may have a sense early on, like, well, does, does he want me to do this alphabetically or chronologically or. Well, what, one way to, to prevent somebody working, you know, 10 hours on something in the wrong direction is to have an early check-in. That's a big mm. tip. Like give them an hour or do one, you know, organize one folder and send, you know, send me the results and then we'll, give you some feedback. So an early check-in with feedback is a is a tool or a technique to confirm that they they have the the outcome that you want. The uh, the example in the book, uh, I think it's the clockwork book is you assign somebody to cook some food or bring you something to cook food and they bring you sticks and you wanted an oven, you know, mm. like they but if you checked with them you know, in the first 15 minutes and they're picking up sticks, you can be like, well, no, no, uh, go to Walmart. Here's the credit card and buy me an oven. So uh, that's just one of those things to prevent some of those those big time disappointments, like the gut check, like, ugh, I really should have checked in with somebody. I mean, an example I had, I had a virtual assistant that was working on um, insurance claims for somebody, for some, one of the clients. and. You're a cash pay business, aren't you? Are you credit card? But if you mean like credit, versus, credit, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you mean versus uh, uh, insurance, insurance based, based. yes, I, I do. Yes, we're a cash based practice. Okay, so uh, they had claims errors, and I, you've probably heard stories though. But you can be on the phone if you're calling them up. You can be on the phone on hold for 15, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. waiting for or longer, depending on the the company. Mm -hmm. 
And so this person was a virtual assistant and she worked very hard at calling the, the company when she had time, but she also, she also didn't have an hour to wait on the phone because she was jumping in between tasks. So mm. she would call, wait for 15 minutes and get a response, mark down her time and move on. And by the end of the month, she worked 20 hours on calls and solved like two problems. She mm. didn't understand the outcome. She was doing her job. And that's, that was the big gut check for us is she didn't understand the outcome. Like the outcome wasn't making calls. Mm. In fact, the outcome, when a call comes in, if you have a receptionist, most of the time, the outcome isn't answering the phone. The, the, the outcome is like scheduling, mm. getting people at getting the right people at the right time to the right therapist for the right reasons. Like that's the reason for, um, hiring a per somebody in person to do, to do those things. You want a filled schedule. If they fill a schedule and they're nice and polite and, and everybody has a good experience, that's a, that's a bonus too. Like you want people to have a good, that's that, that might not even be a non-negotiable. You want people to feel good about your services. So you have two outcomes. You want people to feel good about calling your services and you want the schedules filled. So how do you do that? Like, it's, it's, uh, answer you, you don't make answering the phone on the second ring, the main thing, because then they'll drop other tasks to do this one thing that might, that might not be the outcome that you actually really, 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 really want. Mm -hmm. So no, early and it's the... we were talking about disappointments and well, I, what you're describing makes me think of there's the proverb um missing the forest for the trees mm. and that we can be thinking about the individual pieces versus the the whole of what it is in psychology there's the term in this of the gestalt which is a great german word like like there are lots of things in the history of, of modern psychology but it's this idea of it's not the individual pieces is how it comes off as a whole and the gestalt of the thing is more going to be representative of the outcome versus the individual pieces. I don't want a collection of trees. I want a forest. Mm -hmm. And, and when you ask, what's the difference? It's some of what you're describing. Like if you make it, if you make it, a tree is answer the phone on the second ring. Yeah. Versus I'm trying to create an experience for the client or the potential client. That's the forest. And I think that's a good pivot in the other side because my challenge to my fellow therapist is we're often not very good at metrics. However, what we're describing, I do think will feel more naturally understandable and intuitively taken in because we are typically much more about kind of the bigger picture. A lot of us are much more in Myers-Briggs terms, you know, we, we skew more towards the intuitive, the in versus the sensing S not all. And, you know, I, I think, you know, again, I don't want to, I don't want to put people in boxes and exclude them and be like, well, if you're, if you're a, uh, a good, if you're a therapist, that's good at metrics and more of a sensing person, than Myers-Briggs, then you're an outline therapist. I'm just, I'm anecdotally speaking of my experiences and definitely describing myself and people I find that I work directly with, but 
lean on your strengths, which is thinking about what is the what is the experiential outcome that I want them to have. And I talk about this, if you supervise or you you teach other therapists, I think this is a big thing of oftentimes inexperienced therapists will want like, well, what do I do exactly in this situation? And what's the classic therapist answer? Do you know what it is, James? Um, if you ask a therapist a question, particularly if it's a yes or no question, what's the classic therapist answer? Well, it depends. Yes, it is. It depends. <laughs> Because there's almost never an absolute binary in the situation. So I was talking with a supervisee just yesterday about how confrontational she should be in a particular situation. And we were talking about this particular situation. And then she, she asked further as a clarifying question. It's like, so this is what I should do in these situations. I'm like, oh, it depends. We were assessing this particular client and this relationship and this client's personality style of how confronting them in this way would be taken versus comparing that. And I use that opportunity to compare it to another one of her active cases. And I'm like, this wouldn't work out in the same way. The goal is not the method. The goal is the outcome. The outcome yeah. was we wanted to facilitate positive therapeutic change while maintaining or even increasing therapeutic rapport and alliance. We want the clients to move in the direction that they're asking for therapy to be about. And in that process for them to feel good and to trust you and the relationship more. That's the outcome. How we do that is as different as people are different. There are certain clients that I'm very confrontational with because that's how they trust me. They trust me that I'm not going to sugarcoat things for them mm -hmm. and that I'm going to be really direct. For other clients, that could be kind of bruising and hurtful. And I've got to be softer with them because they're different. I might still want the same outcome. I want them to trust me and to experience positive change. The method is not completely unimportant, but it's very subordinate to the outcome. Mm -hmm. That's my therapist paradigm and language for what I'm hearing you kind of talk about, James. And that's, that's also a way to, when you're delegating things to a virtual assistant, that sort of philosophy keeps you from micromanaging. You know, if, if you're mm -hmm. like, I really care about this outcome. I, and after a little bit of testing, you, you know, you've proven you can make great decisions. I'm just going to be checking in at these times. Like you trust, but verify. I guess that's mm -hmm. one of the tips from Jim Collins. Um, good to great. Like trust when you're delegating things and you trust that their people want to win, that they want to do it. But it's also you, it's also up to you to verify that things are getting done in the mm -hmm. right way. In the beginning, you have more frequent check-ins as they, you know, are proven you have less frequent check-ins, but you can't give away, you can't give up the check-ins either. Like you still have to verify that things are getting done. Yeah. Um, the la the two other kind of like delegating tips is delegate to one person. I don't know if you've ever delegated to the room. Hey, can somebody help me with this? Or can somebody? Yeah, it's the worst because it, no one owns it. No one owns it. And it becomes yeah. like, well, I thought you had this. I thought you had this. Like, uh, yeah. You're killing no, it, me by just saying those things because I've I've done I've delegated to the room before and then I get mad like why isn't yeah, anybody right. helping doesn't anybody care because I was a bad delegator. It is what well, becomes. It, you're opening yourself up to resentment to uh -huh. and also just the thing not getting accomplished, and so getting very specific and and I could say this too in the context of a co-business owner. Now I am 
my business partner is also my life partner. And so that, that's a whole different, uh, I don't know if that's episodes in us, James, but what, you know, what is it to work with your spouse and kind of all, and, and kind of boundaries sorts of things. I've got plenty of things I've learned over the years in that. And, and I will say not to brag a lot of this, I'll give my wife credit for this because she's pretty awesome, but we generally do fairly well in our roles. But part of what does that is she and I, from the very beginning of, of running a business together, were very overt in who was responsible for what. Now, responsible for something doesn't mean that that person is the sole laborer in that thing. But is, so in our counseling business, here's probably the best way to describe the, the gestalt, like the general feel of it, <laughs> is I am in the business, I am much more the kind of external relations sort of person. I'm the, the, the secretary of state. Uh, I'm, I have the lead in a lot more marketing, but also recruitment. Like when we're looking for new therapists, I'm the person that will do the initial interview with somebody before we bring them in. And my wife and I will interview a candidate together, but I'll do the initial more informal conversation with somebody to see if they even get to that. So I'm, I'm, I'm the one doing marketing events. I, when we've run ads, I'll do that. I'm kind of the external person in, uh, and I, and I'm probably more of the big picture person of like, this is where I'm thinking we're going as a practice. My wife is much more of the internal management sort of person. She's our onboarding person. When we hire a therapist, once a therapist is hired, I have a lot more work with the therapist before they're hired, but once they're hired, it shifts a lot more into her. She's the onboarding person. She's the one that trains them in the HR. She's the one that, um, uh, takes their picture for the website, but I manage the website. I'm the one that manages the website and makes updates and corrections and things like that. So all that say we have clear roles, but we are free to ask, she'll ask me to do things that are more in her domain just because she needs help and she is free to do that. But there's a difference between her seeking out aid versus the responsibility hasn't come on me. Ultimately, the fact that like, that the, our, this new therapist is up on our EHR, it's her thing. She may ask me to say, hey, could you show them this because I'm busy? So she'll delegate the things that she's delegated to, which is fine. And vice versa for me, I, you know, there was, my wife knows how to, to update the website. And there are times where I've just been less available. I'm like, hey, there's this typo, you yeah. know, will, will you fix that? So anyway, but you need to have the clear delegation because it was just, hey, will somebody do this? It's either no one will do it, which is more common, or multiple people will try to do it and they'll get in each other's way, depending on what it is. You, you, ha you had the key word there, ownership. Like yeah. ownership is when somebody's responsible and they own it, it, it gets done and it gets done better than if a group of people own it or nobody owns it. Like even well, if you delegate to a group, somebody's got to be responsible in that group for yep. being the person who makes sure it gets done. And one more thing on that, on ownership. Ownership also means kind of fessing up when you haven't stepped up like you should. And it doesn't need to be a shame-based thing. And I think that's something a lot of people need to get over or need to push in, in themselves. But for an example, I had this last week. I'm on a, a volunteer board. We meet about once a month, but we, we're, we're a working board where we're, we have tasks that we're trying to complete for this nonprofit organization. And there was something that I was supposed to do that I didn't do. 
it wasn't just I forgot about it. It was just like time got away from me. Um, I missed a meeting with somebody and I was giving my report to the board. And I start off with that. I'm like, hey, this was my task. But the last board meeting, this was my task. I did not do it. I will prioritize, you know, I, I, I gave reasons, not excuses. Uh, it's, it's something I always kind of say. I don't want to make excuses, but like I did give context. Like this wasn't, I didn't forget, or this wasn't like, you know, here were these other things that happened. I acknowledge that this is could be hardship for people. I, I will, I'm affirming that I will prioritize it for the next cycle and I plan to. And this, it wasn't, no one was particularly mad, but, but part of ownership is the fact of even owning when it doesn't get done. Yeah. And I may have come up with a different solution. I, I may have approached the task and realized that my capacity or skill set meant that I couldn't complete the task. And then ownership in that means I go back in the VA example. Let's say I'm a VA and I get assigned to do something. I have responsibility to going back to, to my employer or contractor to say, hey, I can't do this. I thought I could or I, you know, I don't want to disappoint you, but that's a different form of ownership is even kind of ownership owning your own lack of capacity but that's all information if i hire a va and they say they can do google ads or they're willing to learn google ads <laughs> and they try it and they suck at it what i want them to tell me is that very thing like hey i thought i could handle this and i can't you probably need to find somebody else if if I hire somebody or contract with somebody that does that, I'll be honest. I don't think I'll be that mad. I'll be impressed that they don't it. So ownership isn't even just ownership and success. Sometimes it's ownership and failure. But both. Yeah, and when and when they when they tell you those things, what when I was working with VAs, it's often like, okay, what can you do? Well, I can do like seventy five percent of it. It says twenty five percent. I don't know. Oh, great. Well, now we fix it. But when they hide the problem, then mm -hmm. they they lose trust. And when you lose trust. You lose everything. Like if you hire a virtual assistant and you don't trust them, that's that's the final tip. Hire slow, fire fast. Like mm -hmm. when you lose trust with them because not because they're trying and they they made a mistake. You don't fire or you're disappointed, but there's like hidden things and they, they're not but revealing things to you. That's 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 something to think. Like if I don't trust them, that means I'm gonna pull back on delegating to them and the growth is going to be slower and it's going to take longer and i'm not even i'm going to be like looking over their shoulder and guess what they don't like people don't like being looked over their shoulder but then you you feel like you have to because of the, the lack of trust once once we found once trust was lost mm. the the relationship was was eroded and you either put a lot a lot a lot of work into rebuilding the trust or you switch assistants, or they 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 would choose to leave the company. Mm. Just you you once you lose trust, it's over. You just can't. You it's hard to recover. Mm -hmm. Um, couple other tips on clarity with uh, de well one the one more thing on delegation. The last step in delegation is reporting. Always, mm -hmm. always the the last thing whenever you have like. These are, this is the process of doing the task. The last step is tell or record or report that it is done because the person who assigned it to you is going to worry, is it done until you tell them it is done? 
Mm-hmm. And so the, the task for them doesn't stop when you finish it. It stops when they know it's done. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just closing the loop uh, because the, the owner is going to wake up in the middle of the night going, did this get done? And do I have to do damage control? Where mm-hmm. the VA is like, they did it three days ago, but they forgot to record on their sheet. I don't know how many times one of the simple tasks we had was a call log. You know, people called in, they recorded the calls, uh, and then they did the, if, if somebody sent an email or the, they, they like reported on what was done with the client, the communication follow-up, and then closed it out. But if the virtual assistant didn't close it out or they forgot to record on the call log, then the, the owner was like, oh, nothing got done for three days. And they like, like get really anxious. Like nobody's handling these calls and these people are waiting. Even though the work was done, it's just the virtual assistant didn't record. They didn't follow the policy mm-hmm. of the last step of telling them it's done. Like it's taken care of. You can like get it out of your brain. It's, it's done for you. So, um, Anyways, like I always, I always try to, when I work with a virtual assistant, have a way for them to tell you it's done. Like mm. it could be a Trello board, you know, check, check the box. I, I, I do a lot of podcast publishing. I publish a couple of podcasts. I always tell them it's done. It's ready. You know, it's in the can. It's scheduled to be posted because then they can start worrying about, you know, the next thing. Mm. Um, the social media posts are done. These are done. Like I, I do tasks for people and I just tell them it's done so they can stop worrying about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great. And just, just to wrap up things to help you with clarity, use visuals. Like if you have pictures or screenshots, I love standard operating procedures that are done in video. So a lot of times with a virtual assistant, uh, you can, you can, if you're doing all the scheduling for yourself right now, start recording some loom videos, put put them in a folder. And then when you delegate them to a virtual assistant, have them look at your loom video and write out your, their, their own standard operating procedure. And now they own the process. So use those visual aids, use those videos. And then, um, one of the big things we did for, um, for our clients was check-in meetings. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 we call them, uh, uh, success meetings. I actually, I now, now that I have to come up with the name, we, we call them, uh, they, they just checked in with their client on a weekly basis. And they also gave emails at the end of the week. This is what I did. This is where I'm at with my projects mm. that that way the owner knew what was going on. They knew what the priorities were. They knew they were working and they could give feedback. Oh, you can. You can stop working off the project. Uh, you can, I know we had these insurance claims, but I want you to call these scheduling people. Like they could rearrange the time that they had to use because we, we over-communicated. We found that when we over-communicated, we had less problems. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Uh-huh. Um, that's, that's pretty much all I have. I do think using the, uh, well, uh, what's one thing you want people to remember from this episode, David? Outcomes. It's about the outcomes. Don't get lost about talking about the trees. And so think about, and you've got it. So, and I guess 
um, I don't know, we, we haven't articulated this in this way, but think of the end and work backwards. Mm. And it's similar to what I, I you know, I, as a solution-oriented leaning therapist, I don't want to talk about the problem that my clients are coming in with, or I don't want that to be the focus. I want it to be what is the solution? What is the positive possible outcome for it? How do we work backwards from that? Because to say, I want somebody to answer my emails is a tree. The forest is, I want my communication to be prompt and, um, and I want the people that are reaching out to me to feel attended to and cared for and that their questions are answered. Yeah. You, like the past doesn't matter. You want the outcome. Yeah. Like you, you want them to go forward. That's uh, manager tools has a feedback model where they, they, they say it's just a, a just a simple phrase um, where it, it tells them, Hey, when you do this, this happens, can you do something different? And that's all it is. It's just quick phrase, but it focuses not on the mistake. It focuses on the future behavior. And you just said that really well. My one thing is just use, use the disappointment and those feelings as a discussion starter. Like it's mm. not, it's not the end of the world. It's actually to be expected until you get into a rhythm until you get the uh, the 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 standards established and how things go, there's going to be some disappointment. So don't ignore it. That's another thing that owners would do. They'd be like, "Oh, it's going to get better," or "Oh, <laughs> you're laughing." Oh, this is going to get better. I hope they're going to pick up on my non my nonverbal cues or my like. Uh, yeah, they'll know that I'm passive aggressively angry, and make and make the corrections I want. Oh, well, I don't know. I, and then, and then what happened in those situations is the problem would go on for like two months and then the trust is broken. Not because the assistant was doing anything wrong. They didn't know they were doing anything wrong. They either missed a step and they just kept doing the wrong step because nobody checked in. It all kind of works together. So, so when you feel the disappointment, that's, that's good because that clues you in on what is missing. That helps you understand, I need to have a conversation about this because it's bothering me. As you said, David, you, you're like, I'm not even sure why this bothers me. It's just not right. I got to talk about it. And then you focus on the outcome. Like, what do we do to make this? Not not the mistakes and how bad people are, but like, oh, I want, I want this. Let's talk about it. And you will never get there if you don't listen to your disappointment. Mm -hmm. You have to listen to it to start those conversations. No. There you go. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, oh, you want to wrap up? I'll wrap up. Go for it, uh, James. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. I hope you learned a little bit about delegation and um, setting up outcomes and listening to your, uh, your internal dialogue. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversations we had, and I hope you like and share the episode with your friends. This is James Marland with Dr. David Hall for the Scaling Therapy Practice. We'll see you next time. Later. Psych Maven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, 
You can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results, so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it. Thank you for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to remind you that the content shared today is for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should be considered as legal or tax advice. If you need a professional advice in those areas, please consult with a licensed attorney or accountant. But thank you so much for listening. The Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network.